We are right dead in the middle of the first series of 2023. It's called Unlocked. And the, the heart of this series uh, is claiming and living on a promise that Second Peter gives us that everything that we need, everything that we need, everything that we would ever need to live this life and to live this life in a way that pleases God, to be who God's called us to be and to do the things that God has called us to do, that everything we would ever need, every ounce of power, every ounce of wisdom and knowledge and guidance and direction, everything that we would ever need, we already have in our relationship with Jesus Christ that he accomplished on the cross everything that needed to be accomplished. There is nothing else that needs to be done. Everything is available to us in our relationship, in our intimacy with God the Father through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this series is about learning that reality and learning those ways that God has created for us to access that and live in that and walk in that. And it is, I believe, just the heart of our church. God is moving in it and, and changing us. And it's been crazy to hear all the testimonies and stuff already. Uh, but I want to tell you that today I got one thing I want to teach us. One thing. We're going to start in Matthew 4. And we're going to end in Deuteronomy 8. But I got one thing to teach you. It's, it's the very first thing that Jesus really teaches us in Matthew 4. It's, it's one of the most important and dominant things that God taught the people of Israel in the Old Testament. In fact, he spent 40 years teaching them this one thing. And I believe that this one thing outside of the saving knowledge of Jesus, outside of you knowing that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and you putting your faith in Jesus, I think that this, other than that, is the most important truth that we as believers could take in, believe, and add to our lives. And so there's one thing that I want us to learn today, and I believe that if we can learn that and we can take that in and we can believe that, I believe that that will alter our life, it will create a hunger for God's word, and it would change the trajectory of the way things are going. And so I wanna start in Matthew 4, one through four, and I, this is the, the temptation season of Jesus early before his ministry began. This is Matthew 4. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I feel like that's obvious. I feel like for them to throw that in there, might have been an obvious thing, but it's in there for a reason. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. All right, so I want us to understand, this is one of those stories 
that you have to jump in the middle of. This is, this is a, a picture that has been painted for us that we've got to leap into to really grasp the reality of what's happening, specifically what Jesus is going through. So the first thing you got to understand is that the Spirit of God led Jesus out in the wilderness. That means that everything that Jesus is going through, this was God's will for his life, his God's will in this moment and season of Jesus' life. The Spirit of God led him out in the wilderness. And that he did not eat, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat anything, not a single bite of bread or anything for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the most obvious scripture in the Bible, after not eating for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. But the thing that you really have to get and you really have to just bring in and accept that what it doesn't say, it says that he's really hungry, but what it doesn't say is the reality of the condition of his body, his mind, his soul, and his emotions after not eating for 40 days and 40 nights. All right, the truth is, some of you guys turn into little demons if you go a couple hours without having some food. Amen to that. Amen to that. Okay? And Jesus goes 40 days and 40 nights with no food. That means that his body, and I've done the research on this, his body was at the physically weakest it could be prior to death. The next weakest step is to lay down and die. He was mentally gone, mentally beaten down. He was way past the fog. It was, a, it was just a mental graveyard. There was nothing left. He's emotionally empty, emotionally dead, emotionally spent. He was at the weakest point a human being could be at in this moment. And he was hungry. It's actually important that the Bible puts this in here, that God makes sure that this one statement is in here because you know, even though you, you would know it anyway, but now you for sure know it, that in this moment, Jesus was hungry. That means that in this weakest state, physically, mentally, emotionally, he was just dead and empty and he was hungry. That means he desired food. He wanted food. It was Jesus's will and desire to eat some food. That's what he wanted to do. And right in this moment when he is spiritually weak and right in this moment when he is, is physically weak and right in this moment when he's mentally weak and right in this moment when he's emotionally weak and he's hungry and he's starving and he desires food, it's in this moment that the enemy shows up with this temptation and he says, hey, if you're the son of God, then take these stones, make them bread, feed yourself, provide for yourself, sustain yourself and get yourself out of this wilderness. And if you're not careful and you don't know the background of this, this, this situation and you don't know where Jesus is pulling his answer from and, and you don't know the connection to the Old Testament, it might be easy to think that the temptation here is a pride temptation. It's like a, it's a pride and verse humility temptation. That the enemy's trying to get Jesus to prove somehow that he's the son of God. And this is about Jesus, you know, not putting himself forward and not lifting himself up and that it's pride induced and that that's the direction the temptation's going. It has nothing to do with this. In fact, the very first beings in the world while Jesus walked on the earth that declared that he was in fact the son of God was demons. 
And multiple times as he interacted with people who were possessed by demons, the demons just humbled themselves before Jesus, called him the son of God, and basically was like, where to, Captain? All right, the demons knew he was the son of God. The devil knew he was the son of God. Jesus knew he was the son of God. And Jesus knew that they knew he was the son of God. This had nothing to do with proving that he was the son of God. The temptation here is not to prove something. The temptation here is not to depend on the word that God the Father has spoken to Jesus. The temptation is not to depend on God, not to depend on his word and what he said, his will and what he wanted and his power and what he could do. The temptation was for Jesus to depend on his own word and what he thought, to depend on his own will and what he wanted, and depend on his own power and what he could do. That was the temptation to reject the word of God, to reject the will of the Father, and to reject depending on the power of God and instead take care of himself, do what he felt was best in the moment, give in to his flesh and uh, turn rocks into bread and defeat himself. And it proves this by his statement. He responds to him in this moment, man shall not live on bread alone. It is a dependency temptation. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus did not just pull this from somewhere. Jesus did not just make this up. It says, it is written. Jesus is literally in this moment saying to the enemy, saying to you and saying to me and teaching us this one reality that we do not live on bread alone, but we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he pulled this from Deuteronomy 8.3, where God the Father taught this to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And you may be sitting here and you're like, Pastor, you know, I love you and I, I, think, you're, I think you're, you know, you're all right. You're a good guy. But I don't really know where the heck you got all that from out of that scripture. Well, I'm glad you feel that way because I'm gonna spend the next 15 minutes teaching you exactly where I got all that from. The heart of this is all about what's going on in the Old Testament. The people of Israel out in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus is in the desert for 40 days. The people of Israel ran out of food and was dependent upon God. Jesus had no food for 40 days and was now dependent upon God. The people were tempted to not trust in the word of God, just as Jesus was tempted not to trust in the word of God. The difference was the people of Israel chose to reject the word of God. The first generation did, and Jesus chose to accept it. And, and the truth, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes to the mouth of God is the central focus of both what's going on in the wilderness and in the people of Israel and what's going on in Matthew 4. And you can't really get the heart of Deuteronomy 8 unless you know the full context of why God is saying what he's saying. So if you have a few minutes, I just wanna give you the entire history of Israel in the Bible, if you have time. Is that cool? All right, I wanna, I wanna just start. Uh, the, everybody knows that if you know the gospel and, and, and you know and you've, your faith is in Jesus and you're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, you know that Jesus came 
uh, to die for the sins of humanity so that we could know the Father and be in a relationship with the Father and that we could, we could live with the Father in this life and forever following death. That that's the heart of why Christ came. But what is, is not as popular of a thought or uh, not as well known is why God did the things that he did the way that he did them to bring about Christ at the season of time that he brought them. I know that's confusing. But there was a, a rebellion uh, that actually took place following the Garden of Eden. And so the, the mission and what, what God desired in this world, well, he took Eden, uh, this beautiful garden, and it was more beautiful and more amazing than we could imagine. They got to live in this perfect world. There was no sin. There was nothing but love. They got to walk with the creator of the universe and see him face to face. And it was beyond what we could ever imagine. No matter what we put in place, no matter what we imagined, what we thought of, we would never really be able to understand or experience how amazing it truly was. And God's desire was for Adam and Eve to have a family and to expand and to grow and to take what was in the garden of Eden and to put that all over the earth so that all over the world, it was just this paradise and us glorying in the presence and the love of, of God and just, it, just being with the creator and experiencing this blessing and this love and this amazingness. And, and, and there's, there's no words, there's no descriptive words in any language that would come close to actually describing how amazing it would have been had sin not entered into the world. But that the mission of God and what God wanted to do, that never changed. That, that never changed. In fact, that's what Jesus came to solidify, that we would be in the presence of our Father and that we would experience that majesty and that glory and that love and that we would experience that which we cannot imagine for all of eternity. That's the heart of what we get in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is literally beyond what we could imagine. So the heart of that is that what God wanted to do in the Garden of Eden prior to sin, that never changed. He still wanted to bless us and love on us and us to be his sons and daughters and for us to experience him forever and for all of eternity. That, that heart of God never changed. And so even after the fall and after Adam and Eve uh, left the garden, the, the purpose of why God created it for this is to expand in this glory and this majesty and this love to expand was still what God wanted them to do. And so he commanded all of them as their families grew and they expanded to take over the world and, and to be a people of God and to experience this. And, and that was the heart of it. But classic humans, they got about 12 minutes away from the garden and they were like, nah, we're good. And they just said, we're just going to stay all right here, and we're going to build up our, our own little kingdom and our own tower, and we're going to try to do the heaven thing without God. We're going to try to physically get to heaven uh, without having to obey God. And there was just this rejection of God in this, and they began to build what they call the Tower of Babel. And God came down uh, just in that loving kind of way, and he was just like, why? Why? Why do we do this? Why? Tell me again, Jesus. Why do we... Why, I'm just kidding, he didn't say that at all. He came down and he, he fixed this by giving them different languages and bringing a little bit of confusion and a little bit of chaos into it and he spread them all throughout the earth so that they would do what he's called them to do. But then one by one, every single people group, every single race, every single culture, every single nation, every single nation turned its back on God 
Every single nation chose to serve different gods. Every single nation chose to rebel. Every single nation chose to create idols. Every nation turned their back on God and rebelled against God and chose false gods and demon gods to worship. Every single nation on the earth. This is why God said that I'm gonna create my own nation I'm gonna create my own people group and they are gonna be mine and they're gonna be my inheritance and it's gonna be through this people that I bring about my savior to save all those other nations and all those other people groups who rebelled against me. So he said, I'm, I'm not gonna raise up a nation and an army to destroy them. I'm gonna raise up a nation to bring about salvation to the earth. This is the heart of the father, the entire from Genesis to Revelation. So he begins his nation by coming to Abraham. And the reason why this is so important is because from the day he speaks to Abraham, all the people of Israel see. Abraham sees it, Isaac sees it, Jacob sees it, the sons of Jacob see it, and all the people of Israel, they see the goodness of God. They see the power of God. They see that God keeps his word. God spoke crazy promises to Abraham, and Abraham believed him. And the Bible says that God counted this as righteousness to Abraham, and he led Abraham, and he provided for Abraham, and he protected Abraham. And then Abraham's family grew and expanded. And one of the promises was is that the the, the people that would come from Abraham, that they would be like the stars in the sky, like sand on the seashore. They would be uncountable. And one by one, each generation began to grow and expand. And then eventually they wound up in Egypt. Joseph did. God brought Joseph. Uh, this is the great, great grandson of Abraham and all of the people of Israel into Egypt to save them from a famine. And then while they were in Egypt, God made Joseph the second below Pharaoh, the strongest leader in all of the world, and he blessed them and they thrived. But while in Egypt, the people of Israel began to forget God, and they began to grow and they began to expand, and the people of Egypt turned on Israel and then enslaved them for 400 years. In multiple generations, they were enslaved by Egypt. But then somewhere along the lines, they begin to remember the things that Joseph had taught them. And they begin to remember the words and the promises that God had made to Abraham. And they begin to cry out to God. And God heard them. And then God sent Moses to Egypt to save them. And that, those people of Israel, hundreds of thousands of people at this point, they watched the hand of God move in great power. Now, this is important, and I want you to hear me. They knew God because they watched God move. They saw the supernatural miracles. They saw the plagues. They were there uh, under the leadership of God when he separated the Red Sea and all the people of Israel crossed across the Red Sea and into the wilderness and they watched as the powerful hand of God crushed the strongest army that the world could offer in one foul swoop, destroyed Pharaoh and his entire army, completely freeing them from Egypt. They had absolutely nothing to fear. And then God provided for them and protected them while they were in the desert. And the first thing that God did was he brought them to this mountain and he brought down his presence and he brought down his word, his, his word, his knowledge, his wisdom, and he gave it to his people. And God made a promise to them. He said, I'm telling you right now what I'm giving you, the word that I'm giving you, this is life. 
the word that I'm giving you, this will, this will give you power, this will give you blessing. If you will take this word, consume this word, and live by this word, and trust this word, and pass this word down to your children, you will become a people group that is so strong, that is so powerful, uh, that you'll be able to march across the desert, get into the promised land, and take the promised land. That if you would hold on to my word, if you will wrap it around your neck, that every part of my word that I'm giving you, it's to give you life, it's to do good to you, and it's to bless you. This is the way that God introduced his word to humanity and to the people of Israel. It was never, it was only ever supposed to be a blessing and life and a guide. And so they see the power of God's presence on this mountain. They hear God say, I want to be your king and I want you to be my people. I want to be your father and I want you to be my children. And I'm giving you my word. And my word is what's going to separate you from all the other nations in the world. And if you will just take my word and you will live in my word and you will let my word bring life to you, then you will experience power and blessing and you will thrive through the course of this life. And then he takes them directly to the promised land. I think the thing that we forget sometimes and maybe some of us never knew is that if you grew up in church, you probably knew the people of Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. But that God actually brought them to the promised land in like four weeks. They got all the way to the promised land like that. He brings them out. He gives them his word. He provides for them. He leads them. He takes them straight directly to the promised land. And then he says, now, take 12 spies, go and spy it out, and then I want you to cross the Jordan and take it. And so they send 12 spies, and when they get into the land, it is as amazing as God promised them. It was as, as, as glorious and as crazy, amazing, and awesome as God told them it would be. But there was also something else in the land that God had already told them. He said, there's gonna be an evil, godless people group there. And they are evil and they're gonna try to kill you, but if you will trust me, I will wipe them out, I will remove them from the land and I will give you this land. And this people in this land will bring about the savior of the universe and I will save the world. And so they send the spies in, the spies see how awesome it is, but they see the big walled cities and they see the giants and they see how much technology they have and they see how much weapons they have. They see that they're way outnumbered. And when the spies get back, all of them but two begin to say, there's no way that we can do this. There's no way that we'll be able to take the land. There's no way that we'll be able to knock the walls down. There's no way that we'll be able to fight against this group. We're outnumbered, we're outmatched, we're outgunned. It cannot happen. And then Moses comes up in the middle. It's one of the most desperate, crazy moments in the history of Israel and in Moses' life. And he, he cries out and he begs them. And he says, you, you've seen the hand of God move. You've seen the power of God. You've seen what he did in Egypt. You've seen God. This is symbolic, and this is the thing that you need to understand for the course of this message, that we're not talking about people who are unsaved. The symbolism here is that those who were set free from Egypt, they, they trusted God and God set them free. They were, they were saved from Egypt. This Egypt was behind them. It was a thing of the past. The army was dead. Pharaoh was dead. There was nothing to fear. They were God's people now. And in this moment, God, Moses was begging them to trust God, to trust God's word, to trust the will of God, and to depend on the power of God and what he could do and to enter into the promised land. But every single person in Israel, except for three people, chose to depend on their word and what they thought 
to depend on their will and what they wanted and to depend on their own power and what they could do. And they chose to reject God's word and reject God's will and reject the power of God and to depend on the power of God and what he could do. And they chose, instead of entering into the promised land, they chose to go die in the desert. This was the decision that they made because they knew they did not have the resources, they knew that they did not have the food, and they chose to reject God, disobey God, give up his word, and walk out into the wilderness. And in six weeks, they ran out of food. Six weeks was all they had in them. And now they're desperate and they're dying and they're starving out in the wilderness. And instead of crying out to God and asking for help, they just grumble and complain. Anybody with teenagers, can I get an amen? And it was in this moment, it was in this moment that God began to speak to them and God gave them manna. You gotta understand that God did this for a reason. He's about to tell us in a minute that he humbled them. He let them get empty. He let them get hungry. He let them get almost to the point of death. If you're not careful and you don't know the heart of the gospel and you don't know the heart of God in the Bible, you think that being 40 years out in the wilderness was a punishment from God. It wasn't. They chose to go die in the desert. They chose to go into the desert. In God's goodness, he didn't punish them. In God's goodness, he provided for them and then spent 40 years bringing discipline to their life. And that means teaching them, molding them, and shaping them. For 40 years, he spends them, he gives them this manna, and it's this manna, they go out from heaven. God makes sure we know it's from heaven, it's from him, it comes onto the ground. Their fathers didn't know it, they didn't know it. They go out every morning, they gather it up and they eat it, and this is what, this is when they consume it, this is what sustains them, this is what saves them, this is what gives them the power to eventually make it back to the promised land 40 years from now. So I want you to understand that's the context that they rejected. The first generation rejected the life that God had for them, rejected his word, rejected his will, and rejected to depend on the power of God. They chose to go out and waste their life in the desert and to die in the desert. And it was only by God's goodness and his mercy that he, instead of letting them die, he chose to bring discipline into their life, provide for them, but then use that manna to teach them something. And that's what we see in Deuteronomy 8. When God, it, at 40 years later, after they go through the wilderness for 40 years, the first generation, every single one of them die from old age in the wilderness. But in that 40 years, God trains up and he teaches the second generation. Now they're standing back at the promised land. They're on the, the edge of the river and they actually cross in faith and they experience the goodness and the power of God in the promised land. And this is what God speaks to them in Deuteronomy 8. He wants them to know what he spent the last 40 years teaching them. 8.3 is the main one. I'm gonna read one and two though. You must carefully follow every commandment I'm giving you today so that you may live and multiply and enter and possess the land the Lord swore to your fathers. I need you to understand something. God, this is not a threat 
This is so clear in the original language. This is not a threat. This is God, like a father, desperately calling to his children, please listen to the words I'm giving you. Take the knowledge I'm giving you. Take the wisdom I'm giving you. Take the commands I've given you. I've created this entire universe. I created you. I created everything in it. I've designed everything. I know the way that it works. I know what's supposed to happen. And I'm giving you my word. I'm giving you my promises. I'm giving you my wisdom and I'm giving you my knowledge and I'm begging you to hold on to them, consume them and live by them because they will give you life. They will give you blessing and it will be you holding on to this that actually gives you the power to enter into the promised land and to walk in victory and to experience the life that I have for you. Like this is the heart of God. It's not a threat. It's not obey my commandments or die. It's not that. He's saying this is how you live. Let the hardness of your heart soften. Let the pride in your mind break. Humble yourself down before the God of the universe and understand that I created everything and I'm giving you life if you would just take it from me, believe me, and walk in it. That's the heart of God. It's not a threat. He's saying, I want you to live, and I've given you, I've set you free from Egypt, I brought you through, I spent 40 years teaching you this thing that I'm gonna show you, and now I'm giving you my word. Now hold on to it, because it's gonna give you life. And it's gonna give you the ability to multiply, and the ability to prosper, and the ability to be who I've called you to be, and do the things that I've called you to do. He goes on to say, remember, Remember, meaning this has already passed. He's reminding them of something he spent 40 years teaching them. This is to the second generation. Remember that these 40 years, the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep or hold on to the commandments or hold on to his word. Anytime God tests us, it's not to pass or fail us. It's to reveal to us who we truly are inside and what we struggle with. He says, I want you to know, are you gonna hold on to my word or are you gonna let it go like your fathers did? And then he goes down to 8.3. This is the main scripture for the day. This is exactly where Jesus pulled this from in Matthew 4.4. God says, Moses said, God humbled you and in your hunger, he gave you manna to eat. So he humbled you, and, and while you were hungry, he gave you manna to eat, which neither you nor your fathers had known, so that you might understand. Some translations say, so that you would be taught that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So I want you to understand something. I want you to hear me today. If you're at home, I want you to hear me today. God spent 40 years 40 years teaching them this one statement that you would hear it and you would believe it and you would accept it, that we do not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That means for 40 years, why were they out there? They were out there because the first generation chose to reject God's word, reject the will of God for their lives and reject depending on the power of God. They chose to reject the promised land and who God had called them to be and they chose to lean on their own word and what they wanted, their own will and their own power and they went into the desert and chose to die. For God, that means he knows that the first generation did not believe this 
but the second generation did. So the only difference between those who choose to live in the desert and those who choose to cross into the promised land and be who God's called you to be and do the things that God's called you to do, the only difference are the soul and the mind and the heart that truly gets this and understand that we don't live on bread alone, but we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That Jesus, in his first temptation, and the enemy tempted Jesus the very way he tempted Eve, to doubt God's word. But Jesus overcame that temptation with this same truth to believe that we don't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. What that means is, is that if, if this is the way that Jesus overcame the devil himself, and this is what God spent 40 years in the wilderness teaching his people, that means that this one statement carries significant power and opportunity to our lives. That we have to understand this. Once we put our faith in Christ and we are following Jesus, this is the next thing that we have to get before anything else that we don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Notice that this is not in, uh, an analogy. This, this is not a comparison. It's not a parable. This is just two truths stacked on each other that actually speak significant volume. It, it doesn't say that like you live on bread. He says, you don't live on bread alone. What that means is, despite what, most six-pack models on Instagram tell you, you need bread, okay? If you don't eat bread for six years, you can look like this. Well, I can't do that. I don't know. You're designed. You're designed. The way you're designed is to eat bread, to eat food, and that's what brings you life. Without eating food, you physically die. You ever thought about that? Nobody ever thinks about it. Nobody just sits down and thinks about the basic things in life. You ever thought about that you're two minutes away from death at all times, but every time you breathe, it starts over? Think about it. It's heavy. Nobody thinks about the basic things. Nobody thinks that if I don't eat for three days, I'm gonna grow physically weak. If I don't eat for seven days, I'm gonna be weak. I'm, my mind's gonna wane. My, 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 my emotions are gonna wane. If I don't eat for 20 days, if I don't eat for 30 days, if I don't eat for 40 days, I'll probably get starting close to death. If I don't eat 50 days, I'll probably be really, really dead. That it's the food, physical food, the way we're designed is to eat and consume food. And by eating and consuming food that we sustain ourselves, we, we have energy, we have growth and our body, works the way it's supposed to work and everything's supposed to go the way that it's supposed to go. We are designed to eat food. I feel like this, for some people, this could be a great amen opportunity. <laughs> but you don't live on bread alone. That means that in the same way that you have a physical body, you have a spiritual body. You have a spiritual part of you. You have a spirit. And that spirit inside of you, that is the thing that Jesus Christ saved on the cross. That your body, your flesh, your bones, they will go into the ground, but your spirit, that is the eternal part of you. And your spirit, that is what is most dominant in this life. We are more spiritual than we are physical. That when we put our faith in Christ, it's our spirit that comes to life. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was their spirit that died in that moment. 
Our spirits are the eternal part of us. And what God is trying to teach them and what Jesus was teaching us and living out in Matthew 4 was that just like our physical bodies need food to live physically, our spiritual bodies need the word of God to live spiritually. That it's the word of God. That This is not a, I want you to hear that it's not a comparison or a contrast. It's not a symbolism. This is God saying in reality, in the same way that you live off of bread, it's not just bread alone, but you need every word that comes from the mouth of God to live in this life. That there is a supernatural power in the word of God, in the wisdom of God, and in the knowledge of God. That it's not just a religious duty. It's not just something that we do from time to time. It's not just something we do because we identify with the Christian religion and and there's some good stuff in here and it will really help us in our day. No, that the creator of the universe gave us his word. I want you to understand that God made sure that we knew that Jesus Christ himself was the word of God. John 1 said that in the beginning was the word of God and the word was with God and the word was God. And in John 1, 14, it says that the word of God uh, dwelt among, became flesh and dwelt amongst men. That somehow, some way, when we consume God's word, when we consume God's wisdom, we consume God's knowledge, that it brings literal life to us. That it's so powerful that when Jesus laid weak in the desert, having not eaten anything for 40 days, Jesus said, I'm still alive because I'm depending on the word of God. That there is deep power in this. That God said, I want you to understand, the reason God is giving this in Deuteronomy 8.3, because he wants everybody, he wants them to know and he wants us to know the only difference between the first generation and the second generation was this reality. The first generation, they knew God. The first generation knew how powerful God was. The first generation saw God move. The first generation had been saved from Egypt. The first generation experienced all of that, but they did not hold on and consume and depend on God's word. They rejected God's word and they wound up wasting their life and dying in the desert. But what the second generation had that the first generation didn't, they knew God and they believed in God and they saw the hand of God and the power of God, but that they held on tight to the word of God. And it was the word of God that they leaned on. It was the word of God that they depended on. It was the word of God that opened up the will of God for their lives. It was the word of God that convinced them to depend on the power of God. And so when they got to the same exact river and they faced the same exact walls and the same exact giants and the same exact army, they crossed over in faith and power. And they did the things that God called them to do. And they became the people that God promised them they would be not because they believed in God, but because they believed and held on to the word of God. God spent 40 years teaching them one lesson. Jesus spent 40 days in the desert to teach us this one point. The way that you overcome the enemy in this life, the way that you grow and expand, the way that you grow in faith, the way that you walk in the power of God is to have a daily consumption of his word and then you depend on that word and you lean on that word and you trust that word and that word gives you life. That word gives you power. That word gives you the ability to walk in this life like you've never walked before. It's the word of God that renews your mind. It's the word of God that transforms you. It's the word of God that opens up the will of God for your life. It is God's word that changes everything and nothing else can do and take the place of God's word. Nothing. There's power in it. There's power in it. 
And so I, I want you to understand, for God, he's, ta- he's telling you, listen, if you can believe my word and you can take the word of God in, if the word of God is sown into your soul daily and regularly, you cannot help but to grow into an unstoppable man and woman of God. It's the only thing. It's the only thing. There's, there's nothing else that will do this. That's why, that's why God spends, four, I mean, I want you to just understand this. He spent 40 years. It's tough for me to spend four minutes teaching Hudson anything. And he spent 40 years to teach them one thing. And Jesus overcame temptation by one thing. This is the heart, and I I don't want you to hear me. You need to read the Bible more. That's not the message. The message is you need to understand what the Bible is. And you need to understand how you're designed. And you are designed just like bread feeds you physically. This book will feed you, grow you, expand you, and give you power spiritually. There's nothing else in the world that will take this place. Nothing. And so listen, what what I don't want you to hear, me. don't don't feel condemned. We're the most sensitive little generation on the planet. Don't whine your way out of here. Well, I haven't been reading the word and Jordan yelled at me this morning. Now I feel bad about myself. Shut up. Okay, it's a new day. It's a new day. Forget about yesterday. Pick this book up and start consuming it, reading it, taking it in. I want you to start the heart of this is to start seeing the wisdom and the knowledge that, that it's just like food for your spirit. The same way that you crave and time out. No, you're not gonna forget to eat. I've never seen any, oh, I just forgot to eat today. No, it doesn't happen. I didn't have time to eat today. We do that, we get real busy and then we eat 6,000 calories at night. I'm infamous for that. But what I want you to see is God saying, listen, if you will understand you don't live on bread alone, you also live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Understand you're designed to be fed by bread and you're designed to be fed by God's word. And so forget it. If you've never read the Bible in your life, who cares? You're still alive. If you, if you let it go and it's been months, who cares? Today's a new day. Get in the word of God. Literally, learning this one thing is what separated a generation that died in the desert and a generation that did and achieved and accomplished all that God called them to do. This one thing. We need the word of God in our life. We need the word of God in our marriages. We need the word of God raising kids. We need the word of God as we make decisions. We need the word of God as we walk through this life. We need the word of God as we battle temptation. We need the word of God in our life. It is power. And the very first thing God said about it still stands true. It gives you life. It gives you life.